Let's come together and just worship the Lord this morning.
thank you for that promise. We give to you freely because we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to continue our look into um, the book of Romans today. Um, if you want to follow in your Bible, we'll be, uh, we'll be starting in the latter verses of chapter 2 and going in into chapter 3. Um, the book of Romans is just, it's one of those books that has just so many incredible, profound truths. It was the book that, uh, and I'm, Tim, I'm getting, a, I'm getting an echo feedback. Uh, it, is, it is the book that Martin Luther was reading um, and read and, and found so uh, compelling uh, as he, uh, as he was, uh, began the Reformation uh, and started to, uh, to look at this book and he saw the, the teachings of Paul and he, and he, and he, he learned about faith and, and how, it, how it played such an important role in in the relationship that people have with God. And uh, <clears throat> I know that we, that we live in a, um, in a time, and, and, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to look back here, because I want, I want us to keep our, our minds where they should be. I want us to keep our focus where it should be. Um, and, and we're going to see things in the book of Romans that... Um, that will help us to, to get that focus back because I, I want to tell you we live in a we live in a in a culture maybe that's not the right maybe culture is not the right word but we we live in a time when in the, in the church there is this this emphasis that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned against. He warned in, in, in the book, The Cost of Discipleship, he warned about this, this cheap grace. And we, we live in a time when, when in many areas of the church you will hear a message and when you analyze it, it really comes out and fits into this concept of cheap grace. Now, I am, a, I am a proponent of salvation through grace. I know the Bible teaches us that by grace are we saved through faith. Okay? By grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. So, none of us who have been saved who are in right relationship with God, none of us can brag about the fact that we earned our way there. Okay? We're going to see more of that here in the, ne in the next few weeks as we, as we look in the book of Romans. But the next verse that I, I just quoted, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the next verse there says, we are created, we are His workmanship created unto good works. Okay? There is a, when you have been saved by grace and you have had the righteousness of God imputed to you, 
that is credited to you. There is a change of behavior that comes. You cannot, <clears throat> you simply cannot have an encounter with the living God and not be changed. You just can't. You cannot have the righteousness of God imputed to you and not have your behavior change. Now, be, there, are, there are some who will, who will take that to a, to a great degree to the other direction and they will become extremely legalistic about it. And, and, and then people will just, they will say, oh no, it, I, can't, I can't go there. And, and there's these two opposite extremes. One says I can do whatever I want and grace will be, grace is okay with that. And the other says I have to be, I'm so stringent that if I even make a mistake, you know, I lose my salvation. Usually when you have two extremes, somewhere in the middle there's the truth. And, but I think that what we have to guard against right now in, in, our, in the, the time that we live, we have to understand that God has always called us to come out from among them and be separate. Okay? Now, there's a, there's a tension there. Okay? There's a, there's a tension between coming out and being separate and, and becoming aloof. In other words, thinking that we're better, uh, having what the world would call a holier-than-thou attitude. Because God still calls us to live in the world, but He tells us to not be of the world. And the danger that I see happening today around around in churches is that people are thinking that if I can be a little bit more like the world, then I will attract the world to me and then I can show them Jesus. That never works. It never, listen to me, it never works. It never works. What attracts people to Jesus is Jesus. What attracts people to Jesus is the Spirit of God living the life of Jesus out of us. And although Jesus lived in the world and He rubbed shoulders with the world, He never became of the world. He never did worldly things in order for people to be attracted to Him. They were attracted to Him by His love, by His compassion, by His servanthood, attitude, by His, literally by His holiness. He was, he was holy before them, and it still attracted them. I think if we're going to have, if we're going to talk about holiness, and we're going to talk about biblical holiness, and we're going to talk about the holiness that the Scriptures talk about, that holiness in itself is going to attract people. Oh, it's going to, it's going to attract detractors as well. It'll, it will attract those who, 
who will want to persecute or who will want to put down because we don't do the things that the world does. But I'll tell you what, we, we cannot attract people by doing what they do. It will never work. And so, well, that's kind of like an introduction, I guess. I don't know. It, 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 I just wanted... I just want you to understand that. I, 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 there's, a, there's a reason why God put me, God began to deal with me about preaching about Romans probably a couple of months ago. And I really, I really struggled with that. I, I just, you know, I, I looked, man, I started looking, I looked, I started reading that first chapter, and man, he gets really forceful in that first chapter about things, and I, oh, Lord, I don't, and then I started, I kept reading, and I'm going, and I went back and I preached a couple other sermons and then he'd come in. So there's a reason why God wants us to hear this. Okay, so whatever you need to hear today, you hear. Uh, because this is the word of God. And, and there's no part of the word of God that isn't worthy to be, uh, to be brought before us and for us to consider. Because it is the word of God. And Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what that, this book is. It is his word. So we're going to start... Uh, we're going to start in Romans chapter 2, where we left off last week. And Paul is writing, he says this, Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Now, he's writing to the Jewish people in Rome. Okay? And as we talked about last week, he's writing to them, but there are things that we as Christians can come out of this because he begins to mention the Gentiles even here. He says, <clears throat> if circumcision is value if you observe the law. Because the Jewish people took great pride in this outward sign that they were in covenant with God. And, and Paul just wants to bring them back to earth and help them to see, look, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you've become as though you've not been circumcised. You're a lawbreaker, just like the Gentiles who have not been circumcised, who do not have that outward sign that they are in covenant with God. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have, been, have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. So the idea here is, God gives the law. Okay? Earlier, he says, that to a person who doesn't have the written law back, in, back in, the, in Paul's time, he said if they don't have the written law, but somehow in their hearts they keep the law because, they, he said, that's because God has written his law, they understand that there are things that are right and wrong. You don't have to have a... a a commandment that says, thou shalt not kill, you know it's wrong to kill. That's, that's something that, that's just in, inside you. And he said, when somebody keeps the, uh, a law, 
without the written law, it's a law unto themselves, as we says in earlier in chapter 2. So the idea here is, we have the law as a whole, and Paul says, you know what? You're a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. If you don't keep the law, you're a lawbreaker. And he says, when you're a lawbreaker, it's as though you don't have you don't have circumcision, the written code. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. We have a, we have a bunch of reading to do here because I want to get to certain places in this chapter, in chapter 3, because I, you need to hear these things. But I want to get to those places. So let me just read for a little bit, and then we'll stop, um, we'll stop around verse 8 or something like that, okay? What advantage then is there in being a Jew? <clears throat> or what value is there in circumcision? What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. That is David in Psalms 51. How did I do that? I got mixed up. I'm sorry. That's cute. I'm repeating myself. What advantage then is, is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? What is going on here? But if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing His wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Some might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases His glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is deserved. He addresses this again later where he says, should we just go on sinning so grace can abound? In chapter 6. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Let me read a verse back in chapter 2. I didn't put it in here. All who sin apart from the law chapter 2, verse 12, will perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Okay? So now, the, if, if you and I as Gentiles, we sin, and, and, and we, we didn't have the law. The Gentiles didn't have the law. The the Jews had the law. So if we didn't have the law, but we were sinners, then we were going to be judged apart from the law. We were still sinners, and we still had to face the penalty for sin, 
but we were judged not according to the law, but apart from the law. But the Jews, they had the law. They knew what God's standards were. They knew what he expected. And he said, so they're going to be judged by the law. You had the law. You knew it was wrong to steal, but you did it anyway. You knew it was wrong to lie, but you did it anyway. You knew it was wrong to covet, but you did it anyway. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. As it is written, listen to what he has to say about us, about people. And he didn't even get all of it. He didn't even quote all of it from the Old Testament. Listen to what he says. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. In light of that, how many people in this room are righteous? Well, don't answer that question. How many of these people, how many of you were righteous before you came to Christ? No, no one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. The law has spoken. This is God's standard. Now listen to this. Therefore, no one, no one, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. You cannot <clears throat> be declared righteous by by trying to be good, by trying to follow God's rules and regulations, you cannot be declared righteous because you will break one of the laws. And when you break one of the laws, the Bible says you are guilty of the whole law. Listen, rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, we got to read on. I'm on I'm, but I want you to keep that in mind. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now folks, i got to tell you, it, this, is, this is my personal opinion, okay? Um, but here, here's what I think. You know why you know why people want to take the Ten Commandments down from the courthouses and from behind the, behind the judges and in other places in the public square? You know why they want to take... They, they say there's the separation of church and state. That's the excuse that they give. They don't want those, the Ten Commandments. They don't want them up there because... Well, that's, that's uh, uh, promoting one religion. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That's not the reason at all. 
The reason they don't want those Ten Commandments up there is because every time they sit there and they look at that law up there, they are conscious of the fact that they're not keeping the law. And if we can just get it away from me so I don't have to see the law, then somehow I'm off the hook. But when I read, thou shalt have no other God before me. And I know, and I know that I, that I do. And I, thou shalt not steal and I and I know that I'm being dishonest and thou shalt not covet and thou shalt not lie all those things are what happens when you read the law the the law makes us conscious of sin because the word of God is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword that is able to divide between the joints and the marrow and the soul and the spirit and the word of God convicts I honestly believe, and you can love me for this or, or, or not, but I honestly believe that, that the reason that we have so many Christians who, are, who literally are biblically illiterate, they do not know what the Word of God says. They don't pick the Bible up and read it. And the reason they don't pick it up and read it is they don't want to be convicted. And I don't care how long you walk on this pathway of Christianity, how you follow Jesus, you pick up the Word of God, you can be on the road for 50 years, you pick up the Word of God, and the Word of God will convict you of something you're not doing, or something that you are doing, and you that you aren't doing and you should be doing or something that you are doing and you shouldn't be doing. That's what it does. Why is that? Because the Word wants us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. So that's what the Word does. But we don't want to read what the Word of God says because we don't want to change our ways. We don't want to change our ways. We don't want to know what it says. We want to be ignorant of the fact that we think that ignorance is bliss and that somehow if we're ignorant, we won't be held accountable. I get news for you, we will. Through the law, we become conscious, conscious of sin. But now, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. Folks, I want you to understand something. I've said this to you who knows how many times before, but I just want to reemphasize it to you. There is a righteousness that comes from God that is apart from the law. We went back up here. If you go back and you read the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites the law, and Paul confirms this later on in Romans. He said, before the law came, he said, I, I coveted. He uses the example of covetousness. He said, I coveted all the time. He said, I did. 
He said, and then the law came and said, thou shalt not covet. And he said, and suddenly, I didn't just stop coveting. He said, I didn't just all of a sudden go, boom, I'm not going to covet anymore. He said, no. He said, I still coveted, but now it was sin. Because I knew the law said don't covet, and yet I still coveted. So therefore it became sin to me. And that which was meant to do good, that the law saying don't covet, that's a good thing, that's a, that, that will help you, that will, be, that will help bring life to you by not coveting, by keeping the law. He said the very thing that was designed to bring life brought me death because the wages of sin is death. And here I was sinning because the law said don't covet and I did covet. Now, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. Folks, I want to tell you something. When God gave the law to the Israelites, He knew they couldn't keep the law. He knew that His standard, but He he had to make His standard known. He had to make His standard available so that the people would know what He expected. He did that to Adam and Eve. He said to Adam and Eve, you can have anything you want. (laughs) Anything you want. But here you have one law you have to follow. You have one law, one rule, one thing. I'm giving you this command, this one thing. In the Garden of Eden, we have the one commandment. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in the center of the garden. That's all you get. Don't, don't eat of that. Okay. Now, eating of that tree now became a sin because God had said don't. And of course, we know that they did, and it brought sin into the world. God knew that, the, that we could not keep the law because of what was going on inside us. We, he knew we couldn't keep the law because of the sinful condition that was in our hearts. And He never designed it to be for that to be something that went on forever. He gave the law so that it would make us conscious of sin. And that when we got to the point where we were conscious of sin, that then we would cry out to Him, Lord, what shall we do? What do we do? I want to do what You tell me to do, but I can't. What do I do? He said, There is a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And if you read in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. He says, the time is coming. The time is coming in the future. He said, where I'm going to get rid of your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And he says, I am literally going to write my laws onto your heart and I am going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you my spirit. Now listen. We have to understand this. this. This justification, this... We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. 
He did this to demonstrate His justice. Listen. This was the whole reason Jesus came. This is the whole thing of, of Jesus coming just in a, in, a little, in a little nutshell. Jesus came and shed His blood on the cross so that you could be forgiven, you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Okay? That we could be restored and be made new. See, a lot we, we want to concentrate and focus on, on, on the bad things that we've done. God, and we say, oh, God, God's going to forgive me for the bad things. Some folks say He's going to forgive me for the bad things I did in the past, the things I do now, and the, and the future bad things. Well, God doesn't want you to do future bad things. Uh, you may do them, but uh, I mean, it's possible that you can do them, but, he, but he's not saying, you know, just go ahead and do them and, and I'll be there. Uh, matter of fact, there's a, there's a song on the radio right now, and I love this, I love this song. I love the beat of the song. I love it. And it's called um, Greater. Have you ever seen it? Greater is the one who is inside of me than he that is living in the world. Yeah, no, anybody here? Okay, okay. But you, if you listen to one of the lines in there, one of those lines that's in there, it's that whoever wrote the song, I, I, it, it, it makes me cringe. It says, um, <clears throat> some days I lose the battle, but grace says it doesn't matter because the cross already won the war. See, that's not true. That's not true. Grace does not say it doesn't matter. Okay, that's cheap grace. That's a grace that says it doesn't matter what I do, grace will always be there to bail me out. That's cheap grace. God's grace says there is an imputed righteousness to me that has come from God Himself based upon my faith in Jesus Christ. And there is because of that faith in Jesus Christ, there is a cleansing that comes to my, to, my, to my soul, to my spirit. And then the Spirit of God comes to indwell me and to empower me and, and to, be, to regenerate me. So Jesus comes and He gives His life. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. The blood of Jesus cleanses you and I <clears throat> from all sin. When we receive, when we see the act of what Jesus did on the cross, when we trust in Christ, His blood cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Okay, That's, that takes place. The, the, the Bible says that even though our bodies are dead because of sin, our spirits are revived. Our spirits are made alive in Christ Jesus. Now, what happens? Now that we have been cleansed from sin, now, our, now we are in a place where the Spirit of God can come and dwell within us. See, the Spirit of God couldn't come and dwell within us while we were full of sin. And we couldn't get rid of sin until we had a sacrifice. And the sacrifice was Jesus on the cross. So Jesus dies on the cross, sheds His blood. His blood purifies us. Now we're ready for Jesus to come into us and for the Spirit of God now can come in and dwell in us. And now the Word is written in our hearts. 
And Jesus had to go back to heaven in order to send the Spirit. We talked about that on Easter Sunday. He went, he had to go back. He said, if I don't go back, can't send the Comforter. He had to go back. I need the Comforter, don't you? I need the Holy Spirit. He presented him as a sacrifice. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Why? Because there was no law. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. You and I, we can't boast. We cannot boast in what we have. We cannot boast God's, oh, look at me. I've kept the law. I've kept the law, so therefore I'm... No. No one is going to be declared righteous by keeping the law. It is only through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul here lays it out. He lays it out for the Jewish people there. He lays it out for us as Gentiles. Folks, I just, I'll tell you, when I came to the understanding, not, not of just of salvation, but of the concept of that I can't, I can't do what God wants me to do without the Spirit of God indwelling in me. I, I can't... I, I can't try to be good. I can't try to please God by being, by trying to be good. You say, well, Pastor, you don't, you don't try to be good? No. No, I don't try to be good. You say, well, what, what, do, you, what do you mean you don't try? I, I don't try to be good. You see, my efforts at being good, there's a name for that. My efforts in trying to be good, that is religion. That's being religious. That's, that's trying to follow rules and regulations. I'm going to try to be good. I, I, well, I, I can't do that. And the concept here is <clears throat> not, that I, not that I can't, it's I don't want to. What happens here? <clears throat> See, the simplicity of the Christian life is this. And Jesus really wanted to simplify our walk with God. And He, and he, he tried to do that. And, and here's the simplicity of our walk with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the simplicity of it. Don't confuse simple with easy, but that's the simplicity of it. I love God. Why? He imputed His righteousness to me. He sent His Son to die for me. He sent His Spirit to indwell me. I love Him with all my heart. And it's not, 
What happens? The Bible says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll do what I say. I'm not, I'm not keeping rules and things. I read God's Word. And out of God's Word, He tells me things that please Him. One of the things is without faith, it's impossible to please Him. I have to have faith. I can't begin to please God. I can't say that I love God because if I say I love God, that means I have to do what He says. And He says, you can't please me without faith. You can't please me without faith. So I read in His Word where He says I should do this. And I look at that and I go, Lord, it's okay to say this to you. Lord, that doesn't make any sense. You, you want me to do this? He'll, he'll say things like, um, in, in, in my kingdom, um, if you want to be really great in my kingdom, you have to serve people. What? Yeah, he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you have to serve people. I'm not serving anybody. I'm not serving people. That's lowly. Oh. Well, then I guess you then I guess you're not part of my kingdom. Oh, wait a minute. I prayed a prayer. I prayed a prayer one time. Are you willing to be a servant? Well, no. He says things like, if, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up, you got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What? Because if you don't do that, he says, listen, he says, if you don't do that, he says, you can't be my disciple. That's what he says. He says, if, if you don't take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I'm going to be your disciple anyway. I'm going to follow you anyway. No. You're not following me unless you've denied yourself and you take up your cross and then you follow me. Then you can be my disciple. I'm going to try it a different way. Uh, you can't. Well, we have people, we have people in the church who continually try to do things to get to God and to please God and to follow Jesus. And, but they don't want to do it the way he says that we're to do it, and we end up, we're, we're at a loss. The church is faltering. Why? It's, because, it's, not because, it's not because the world is too powerful. Do you understand that? The church is faltering not because the world is too powerful, because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not be able to hold back the, the rising tide of God's people who march forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gates will break down and the saints of God will enter into where the devil's work is being done and they will change things by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You understand that? The reason the church is faltering and it looks like the world is too powerful is because we're trying to do it in ways that Jesus never designed us to do it. He said we're going to do it my way. We're going to, you're going to follow me. You're going to take up your cross and follow me. And my Spirit is going to indwell you. And you're going to have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses throughout the whole world. But the church, but the world seems more powerful today because we we are not walking with Jesus in victory and in holiness. We're trying to win the world by being like the world and it will never, never, never work. And we have to come out. We have to take a stand. We have to say, this is, this is where I'm at. I will walk with Him. I will follow Him. I will do what He says. I love the Lord my God with all my heart. I will do what He says. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, He will lead me and He will direct me. And I don't mean that we take a stand and we go, when we begin to say, we're not going to let evil come any further. We're not going to let these people do this. We're, you see what we're doing? We've been doing it for years. We've been doing it for years. We're trying to change the world through politics instead of the Spirit of God. That's what we're trying to do. Oh, if we, can just get the, if we can just get the right politician in that one place, it'll change everything. People will just flock to Jesus. No, they won't. They won't. They won't flock to Jesus because some political party's in power. They will flock to Jesus when the church begins to live like Jesus wants us to live. That's when the world will flock to us. When they see the holiness of God's people. I've just been reading a, uh, I've been reading a book. I just started it uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, it, it's a book on church history. And I've got to tell you folks, the things that were going on in the Roman Empire, uh, and I don't have time to go through it right, get through any of it right now. I'll probably do it later on as we, as we look at some other parts of Romans. But I've got to tell you folks, the, the, the Christians in Rome and the, some of the reasons that they came under persecution. The things that were said about the Christians in Rome. One of the church fathers wrote about uh, someone there who looked at the Christians and he just went, whoa, how they love one another. How they love one another. The things that they did, that they, they, the things that the Christians in Rome did, many of them when people were fleeing because of, the, because of the plagues that were there, the Christians stayed and many of them died because they caught the plague, but they couldn't leave people, in the, they couldn't leave them uncared for. And they risked their lives to help people with, with the disease in order to comfort them and to show them the love of Jesus. And many of them contracted the plague and died. And we said, it is better to die well than to live wrong. It was many of their cry. It's better to die well than to live wrong. 
this faith that we talk about, we see it more evident, and we'll talk about this next time. In chapter 4, Abraham. Abraham was, you know, he was, uh, he was the, the, the patriarch of, uh, really the patriarch of our faith. It started with Abraham. And it, it's interesting to see how Paul lays out the importance of faith to Abraham. We, we think of him as a law person, but the faith. We'll talk about that the next time. Folks, I want to tell you something. We want to make a difference as a church. And we're going to have to make a difference in the way we live, in the way we conduct ourselves. And the world will see that. And the world will be intrigued. And the world will turn to Jesus. And sometimes our faith is, that comes through when our faith is tested the most. How do we react when our faith is tested? That's where it comes out. That's where the, that's where the rubber hits the road as the expression goes. When our faith is tested, what will the world see us do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for this righteousness that comes apart from the law. This righteousness that is imputed to us, that is credited to us. Where You, Father, just simply declare us not guilty. You, by faith in Christ, You simply make a declaration as the righteous judge. You simply say, You are not guilty. And we thank You, Lord, that now there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We thank You for that promise. We thank You, Lord, for inspiring, by the Holy Spirit, for inspiring Paul to write this book so full of so many truths that we just need to be reminded of as Your people here in this day, in 2015. Your church. We need to grasp a hold of these truths once again and just begin to live them out each and every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank You, Lord. As the Spirit of God lives out the life of Jesus in us, Lord, allow allow me. We each have to make this prayer. So here is my prayer. Allow me, Lord, to allow the Spirit of God to live the life of Jesus through me so that people will be attracted to Him. Thank You. Father, I pray today for uh, the ministries that, are, that You have graciously given us as a part of this church. And we just read a, f- a few days ago in one of the newsletters, we can sense Your prayers. We feel Your prayers. And Father, we, we just want to reiterate our determination to pray every Sunday for, our, for these ministries because 
although they need finances to operate, they need the power of our prayers behind them for the ministry to succeed. And we do not want to let them down. We pray for our missionaries, for Todd and Shelley Marks and for Chris Garris. And Lord, we know that there are uh, Todd and Shelley are in a, in a dangerous place. They are in a place where converting to Christianity is a death sentence. And Lord, we just pray for them. We know that there are a number of people that they've been in contact with and have been in touch with and been ministering to that are beginning to ask questions about the claims of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus versus the claims of another religion. And we just pray for them right now. We pray for their protection. But we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, these folks will come to a place where the eyes of their understanding will be opened and they will be able to see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus. We pray for Chris Garris in Thailand. And we know that there, Lord, there are so many superstitions there is ancestor worship, and their, uh, uh, their families will, will uh, discourage people from, uh, who want to make the move to accept Christ, will discourage them and try to pull them back in. Lord, I just pray right now the power of your Spirit will be oh so overwhelming there that they will see fruit for their labors as they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for... For love serves, and I thank you for them. We thank you for the great work that's being done. We pray, Lord, for the missions trips that are going there this, this summer and fall, and we just pray that they will be a fruitful time. We thank you for the, the great number of souls that are coming to know Christ through this ministry. We pray for uh, Brother Art and the EE Prison Ministry, Lord, and we just thank you for the the lives that are being transformed behind bars because the gospel knows no bounds. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And Lord, we thank you for our daycare and the, the little lives that are being touched. And Lord, as we, as we saw the graduation of the fourth grade, fourth, four-year-olds the other night, Lord, we were just, we were just overwhelmed by the impact that we have had on those four-year-old kids and the things that they have learned about you that no one can ever take away from them. And I just pray, Lord, for those families. Many of the families go nowhere to church, they, but yet they brought their children here and we've had an opportunity to impart to them the truth about the gospel of Jesus. We have planted a seed now others will water, and you, Lord, will give the increase. And we thank you. Father, I pray that you will take us from this place today. May we be representatives of you throughout our communities and our neighborhoods. May people see Jesus in us, in all we do. In your name we pray. Amen.